Morning, Crosswalk. How are we doing this morning? We good? Summer times for summertime, people. One service all through the rest of the summer. When we come back to two services in the fall, we're going to go back just a half hour, 10, 11.30, uh, make a little adjustment, especially for our uh, parents with littles that want to stick around and don't have to wait so long for them to eat lunch. Uh, amen. Um, so we are glad that you guys are here. I have to tell you, uh, I love love, love our church. I really, really do. A um, couple of things. One, I, I came in this morning uh, to see our leadership team chair, Joyce, who's sitting in the front row. Her husband, GJ, our treasurer, was uh, wear, playing the bass, and Joyce's shirt says, dibs on the bass player. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what you can wear to our church. I mean, you can't, she can wear that. You, I mean, let, let's just be clear. Uh, we've got that. And then a little story from Thursday. Um, we are a church that desperately wants to make sure we love well, that our community knows that we exist. And so this past Thursday, we had our mobile food pantry where we partner with PAX and we serve families in the community food uh, that may not otherwise have that kind of access. There was a couple driving by with a daughter, five, six years old. Um, they're not from, they don't live immediately in this area. They just were driving by literally on this road, 223, and had a conversation about how they, they didn't know where they were going to get their next meal to feed their little girl. They saw what was happening. They pulled in. They asked if they could have our barbecue, which was what it was there for. It was there for, for them. So they got a meal, and then they saw the food pantry and they stocked their kitchen. Yeah. That's what loving well does. You never know how God is going to use you when you serve. Um, and so I, this, it's just a way to say that I love my church. I love what we're doing. And if you want to be a part of that, there are so many different ways that you can join in. I mean, there's outreaches. There's serving on a Saturday morning. There's so many different things, and so please prayerfully consider how you can be involved. And some of you are doing that. You're loving well at your work. You're loving well in your home. You're loving well in your community. And so thank you for doing that. If you want to participate um, in specifically what we're doing, we would love to have you. I know some of you have had a crazy few weeks already as we have started summer. There have been weddings and baptisms. Uh, some of you even went to Disneyland uh, recently. Jerks. Um, <laughs> Yeah, good for you. Uh, graduations, eighth grade, high school, college, so many things to celebrate. Uh, and so we are glad to be here in summer. This is campus day. As Megan said at the beginning, campus day for us is a community day. That's why we don't have our kids programs on today. We have the kids in the room with us. So kids, pay attention to the sermon because it's good for you. But also, there are prizes. So the word for today, kids, is... Fathers, right? Fathers, not dads, although if you count dads, that's fine. I'm going to say dads too, but fathers. And after the service, if you catch that, then you talk to teacher Megan and you will get a prize. The rest of you who pay attention will get a prize in heaven. <laughs> so it is Father's Day weekend. Dads, we celebrate you. And I will admit that I know, as I think back about Father's Day services in church, that there hasn't been a lot of focus. We may mention it, say something, and move on. And we do that in the marketplace, too. 
In fact, I found out this week, did a little research. It turns out that on Mom's Day, we spend as much as $35.7 billion on moms. We spend that on going to restaurants to eat, we spend it on cards, we spend it on jewelry and flowers, and some fathers spend it on electronics because they give their wives electronics thinking that the wives will enjoy them. <laughs> but for Father's Day, it is expected that our nation will spend $3.8 billion, a mere 10% of what we spend on our moms. Typically, people spend money on clothes, like socks and ties. Thank you. Uh, and uh, some gift cards to places, and then again, Electronics. Now, I am not saying and making the case that we should be spending less on our moms and more on our dads, because I like my house and I would like to continue to live there. <laughs> but I am saying that we should spend a little more time elevating Father's Day, because fathers are critical. Many studies, including one found in the National Pediatrics Association Journal, uh, have shown that an involved father helps promote inner growth and strength. That Studies have shown that when fathers are affectionate and supportive, it positively affects a child's cognitive and social development. It also instills an overall sense of well-being and self-confidence. We also have plenty of data that shows us what happens when fathers are not involved in the life of the child. According to the National Fatherhood Initiative, a child is at uh, four times greater risk of being in poverty when dads aren't involved, two times greater risk of infant mortality, two times more likely to drop out of school, and much more likely to exhibit at-risk behaviors. So dads, you are vital to the development and the health and success of your children. And it's not just your children. As we do on Mom's Day, we always expand the definition of what a mom is, we expand the definition of what a dad is. Because a dad is someone, a father is someone who mentors and leads and teaches and helps another one grow and develop and learn. And we all have the opportunity to invest in somebody's life in that way. I've had a lot of dads in my lifetime. My own dad, my biological dad, my stepdad, but even those of us that have uh, fathers, biological fathers that are invested, we all still need other people willing to invest in us, willing to seek us out, spend time with us, teach us things, help us grow in our faith, learn more about who we were created to be. And I've had teachers do that, I've had pastors do that, I've had mentors in my life that have done that for me and been there through the twists and turns of life. So we are all called to be involved in these types of relationships in other people, and more on that in a moment. When I was a kid, I was thinking back this week that I remember, as, as long as I can remember, that I always wanted Jesus to come. I always had that in me from as long as I could remember. I couldn't wait to see Jesus coming in the clouds. But if he was going to tarry, as they say, if he was going to wait, um, then there were a few things I kind of hoped I could experience along the way before he came. And those things included, one, what every child that's not 16 wants, which is a driver's license thought the idea of driving a car on my own would be the most exciting thing one could experience. So I wanted a driver's license. Two, I wanted a girlfriend. Um, I never went through that stage where I thought girls had cooties. I don't know if you did. I did tell my guy friends that girls had cooties because I wanted the girls to myself. I think I was in second grade. I remember walking up to my first crush while she was standing outside her locker and I said, hey, 
how you doing? <laughs> anyway. Um, so I wanted a girlfriend. And then the third thing, though, was, is that as far as I can remember, I wanted to be a dad. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know, um, you know what it was about my journey, but I can remember that I wanted to be a dad at some point. And so I know I have told this story before, at least a year ago, at least, but I have a microphone and you don't, so you're going to have to deal with it. So Trisha and I, when we got married, we had decided, yes, we wanted kids, but we wanted to wait five years until we got some of our student loans paid off. Amen? Amen. And then God entered the scene and thought it'd be funny because he's hilarious. Um, two years in, Trisha got pregnant, uh, immaculate conception, I think, but um, anyway, uh, and uh, so now we are having to readjust, um, but I was initially frightened because I'm a planner, uh, but then I accepted and received uh, that it was going to happen, and I was so excited that I was finally going to get to be a dad, and you know, I mean, obviously, women are so much more connected to the process of the pregnancy, right? I mean, you get all the good and the bad feels when it comes to being pregnant. You get the morning sickness, and you get the feeling of first movements and the baby kicking. You get the discomfort of the baby sitting on your bladder, um, but you also get to know that you have a life growing inside of you. For the dad, you're so much more removed. I mean, yes, you can feel the baby kick in the belly, but it, you know, for all you know, it could be an alien trying to get out. Um, so it's just a little more removed from the process. So um, when the time came, Trisha was going to be induced. Uh, and so we went to bed on the night of August 6, 2001, knowing that the next day, if everything went well, we were going to be parents. Um, and neither one of us slept, partly because we had to be at the hospital at 3 a.m. So we get to the hospital, they get Trisha set up, they break her water, and they give her Pitocin, which is to help uh, advance the uh, contractions, which actually make your contractions 10 times worse, my understanding. So within moments of hooking Trisha up, she went from okay to bad to dear Jesus, take me now, pretty quickly. Um, and because she didn't have any other drugs along the way to, to help the process, um, you know, she was vocal at points, not with words, as much as she was just with kind of the moans and groans, the discomfort, the pain, and other kinds of things. And then a nurse with very, at one point, a nurse with very bad bedside manners comes in. And at one point, she says to Trisha, well, honey, everybody in the hall knows you don't have an epidural. May that nurse rest in peace. <laughs> That's what happened in my mind. Um, Anyway, uh, and, and so, you know, we're, we're going through the process, and look, I, I did next to nothing, right? In the room, dads, you know this, we hold hands, uh, we rub backs, we get ice chips, but, but you know, like, it's Trisha, hero of the day, she was amazing, um, and we're, we're getting close to the point, fast forward eight hours, and Trisha can start pushing, and I'm getting more and more excited, and there's one job that I had, if you've been in this moment, you know, the one job I had all day was when it came time to push, I was supposed to count to 10 three times slowly while she pushed. But I was so excited that I counted more like a five-year-old who was playing hide-and-go-seek, you know? So what do you find 10? What do you find 10? What do you find 10? And our doctor, who looked a lot like Monica Lewinsky, that's another story we don't have to <laughs> get into. I can just remember that. But Dr. Lewinsky, um, at one point, kept telling me to slow down. I kept yelling at her to speed up. It was all a mixed bag of emotions. 
Um, and then, if you've been watching week after week as I get on stage, you can tell that McCoys have rather large craniums. Headspace. Uh, it's because of our large brains. That's <laughs> what my mama always told me. Um, so, Aiden was not having an easy time coming out, so the doctor went and got that suction cup thing uh, and put it on his head, and she started to pull. I uh, almost passed out two or three times, but the moment in which I was even closer was she's, she's pulling, she's doing this, trying, and then she puts her leg up at one point to get more leverage to try and get him out of there, which I thought was a bit extreme. Um, but then the seal that is around the suction cup gave way and she fell backwards. And I thought Aiden would flying across the room. So I'm like, where's my child? I don't need to. It's, oh, he's still, okay, all right, here we go. And so she puts the suction cup back on, she gives a few more pulls, and then out comes Aiden into the world. And he takes care of business and pees all over Dr. Lewinsky, which was the right thing to do. Um, and then, and then the nurse with the bad bedside manners, may she rest in peace, went over to uh, the table, she cleans him up, she weighs him, she wraps him as tight as a Chipotle burrito. And she hands him to me with one hand. Like just, here's your, I'm like, what should do I take him and I hold him for the first time and just tears start streaming down my face as I look and I realize this little life in my hands, part me, part Trisha, all God, I was very aware in that moment as I held him that the last person to hold him like this was God as he knit him together in his mother's womb. And I praise God for he was fearfully and wonderfully made. But I looked in at him and I thought, I get to parent this little one. I get to teach him things about life. I get to hopefully introduce him to Jesus. I get to help him navigate all the things that happen over the course of life. And I couldn't believe it. It's a little daunting to think because then I knew I was in parenting for the rest of my life. But I wasn't alone because I had his mom and I had grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and, and other friends that had gone before me and had kids that I could lean on and help. But that was what I got to do. I also had the Father, the Heavenly Father, who was there to teach me how to love, how to teach, how to help him grow, and even what to do when he or I make mistakes. We often think that referring to God as our Father was something that originated in the New Testament. But this isn't the case. There are plenty of places in the Old Testament where God is referred to as the Father of Israel or as the Father of those who are writing the Scriptures at the time. There are places where in the Old Testament where Israel is referred to as God's children. So a few examples. And nothing about, in talking about restoring Israel after their captivity, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and said, Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. The prophet Isaiah recognized this quality about God. He said, and yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. King David prayed, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And the prophet Hosea wrote, Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then, at the place where they are told, You are not my people, it will be said, You are children of the living God. That line from Hosea, You are children of the living God, that is an important line. Don't miss it. 
It's one of the most important things that you could ever learn about yourself. The Apostle John wrote about this as well when he said, See how very much our Father loves us, for he has called us his children, and that is what we are. This title, Children of the Living God, this is absolutely your identity. The world will try to define you in so many different ways. The world will try to define you by what you own. It will try to define you by what you do, by what you've done. It'll try to define you by your religious affiliation, by your political affiliation, by your gender. These things are all things that change in an instant, but, but children of the living God is something that will never change about you. It is the most true thing about you. You are his blessed and beautiful creation, a creation he loved so much that even when we rebelled against him, he came chasing after us, laid down his life to us, for us to prove his love. Just over a week ago, I stood at uh, graduation, Riley, Meadowglade, Ad oh, yeah, no, I looked up, ah, um, at Meadowglade Adventist Elementary School. Uh, it was uh, a 12-hour eighth grade graduation. I think my part was 10 minutes, thank you. Um, uh, for future reference, you know you're in a little bit of trouble when like everybody in the class gets up and starts saying, you know, I came in kindergarten and I remember when. And you're like, yeah. This, uh, my favorite thing about an eighth grade, it didn't happen this last week uh, at Meadow Glade, but oftentimes you go to an eighth grade graduation and uh, the, the president of the class gets up and they'll say something like, parents, we just want you to know that we thank you so much for you bringing us to this moment um, and, you know, we're still going to need you. And I'm always like, well, yeah, because you can't drive home. I'm pretty sure you're still going to need your parents. But anyway, so yeah, it was tons of fun. But I stood up and I told them this idea of the, the, you being a children of the living God is the most important thing you'll ever learn. You are God's child in whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. Those words are so important for you to know and to hold on to. They are words that I believe God gave to me directly about 17 years ago in a very difficult and dark time in my life, and they are words that have carried me through some of the toughest things that I've been through. You are God's child in whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. Of course, the theme of God as Father was most put into flesh and blood by Jesus Christ himself. And we learned so much about God the Father through the life of Jesus. And through the life of Jesus, we get so much more intimate with God because through Jesus, we began to call God not just the Lord or Jehovah or God, but Father. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uses the most intimate word available at that time for Father, which is the Aramaic word Abba, which means Daddy. Now, I know for some of us, it's hard to imagine God as Father, because some of us have been scarred, abandoned, and wounded by our dads or our father figures, and God knows that too. So in Scripture, we find God being described in other ways as well, as a mother. And I actually think that God is going to come to us however he needs to come to us. We can't put God in a box and say that God only comes to us through church or through this denomination or that denomination. I think because we are his children in whom he loves and is well pleased that he will come to us in whatever way he needs to so that he can tell us the truth of who we are. He can tell us that we are loved. So don't limit God and how he will come to you. Don't put him in a box. Be open to all the ways that God will come and knock on the door of your heart. As we refer to it here at Crosswalk, Jesus, in his parting words, gave the great, gave the great co-mission. 
when he told us, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are to go and make disciples, which is just another word for learners. Learners of God and his love. And how do we do that? Well, the easiest answer is we follow Jesus' example. We invest in others. We invite them into community. We stick with them through triumphs and failures, and we never give up on them. The Apostle Paul put it like this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? We're not just talking about heaven here. We're not just talking about salvation. We're not just talking about some future reality. This is about heaven on earth. This is about finding our love, our purpose, our passion. This is about becoming the people that God created us to become. Paul goes on and says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. That's our call. If we just come every week and we take in, we get some good coffee and some, hear some great music and hopefully a good message and that's it, then we're missing our call because once we are introduced to the living God, once we understand our call or that we are truly God's children whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased, when that becomes a part of who we are, we can't help but go out and invite other people, bring them into community, seek them out, and show them the love of God. That is our call as God's children, to let other people know that they too are God's children. There are all sorts of examples of how this is done in Scripture, but perhaps my favorite one comes to us in the book of Acts. It is the story of a man that we meet by the name of Barnabas. And we first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 in a passage talking about how the early believers in the way of Jesus shared their possessions, testified about Jesus, and cared for each other. The writer of Acts, Luke, tells us, for instance, there was Joseph the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. Barnabas had a good reputation. He became known by what he did. He encouraged others, and people knew him to be a man of faith and full of the Spirit. I mean, who wouldn't want to have this guy around, right? And who did Barnabas mentor? Who did this man of God decide to invest himself into? It was a man who 11 years before had been persecuting the followers of Jesus. A man who was a Pharisee, who was extremely devout to the letter of the law. A man who was an up-and-comer. But as the story goes, this man had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and everything changed. Barnabas hadn't forgotten Saul's story. Not even after 11 years he saw something in Saul that no one else did, so we're told that when the time was right and Barnabas was asked by the church to do something that was bigger than he was, we read, Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. I'm sure his peers thought his, he was crazy. They thought Saul was too dangerous. They weren't sure about him even still, but Barnabas went and found Saul and began his journey with him. 
For the next several years, we read about the journeys of Barnabas and Saul. They entrusted their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. But then, so, so I, I should say this, Barnabas was helping Saul. Saul had met Jesus. Barnabas helped him learn how to live with Jesus, how to help introduce others to Jesus. And then Saul gets a new name for his new life. And we, become to know, we come to know him as Paul, and then something else happens. In Acts 13, 14, and 15, we start to hear about the journeys of Paul and Barnabas. It's flipped. Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. While Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, Barnabas began to let Paul lead, but he still stayed by him to support, to encourage, to mentor. Then Barnabas does something interesting. When the time was right, Barnabas left Paul to go his own way, while Barnabas sought out another young follower who others had written off, by the, a man by the name of John Mark. Meanwhile, we then read of the journeys of Paul, and Paul continues to follow the lead of his mentor Barnabas, for Paul also sought after another one to invest in. In Acts 16, we read, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Barnabas invested in Paul, who became known as the first missionary of the Christian church who introduced countless people to Jesus Christ and the transformative power of the gospel. Barnabas also invested in John Mark, who wrote the very first gospel telling other people about Jesus. And Paul invested in Timothy, who took over for Paul after he left. This, my friends, is our call to invest in others and help them know the Father's love until it becomes so much a part of who they are that they go and do the same for someone else. Just imagine what the people around us may do when we take the time to invest in them and help them know the Father's love. It will take time, it will take risk, it will take energy, and it will take loads of patience. But when you see that light of God's love go on inside someone, it is, it is like watching new life come into the world. God is our Father, and He is good. And because of His great love, He sought after us even when we were running the other way. Because we are His children in whom He loves and in whom He is well pleased. When we open ourselves up to receive His love, He calls us to go and journey with other people join a connect group, invite a coworker, come and do outreach, tell somebody about the love of Jesus so that they too may know that they are loved beyond their wildest imaginations and they too may know their true identity, that they are children of God in whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. So go, mentor, lead, teach, make disciples and tell them of the love of Jesus. Happy Father's Day, Crosswalk. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for all of the different ways you care for us because we are your children in whom you love and with whom you are well pleased. So help us build our lives on that truth, on our true identity, and help us to go into the world and help other people know 
not a set of rules or a set of doctrine, unless those things lead them closer to you, to your love, to your grace. Give us the words, give us the mentors and leaders that we need in our lives so that we may be mentors and leaders in the lives of others, Father. You have asked us as a community to love well. That starts now, it starts today. Let's go from this place and help other people know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are your children in whom you love and with whom you are well pleased. In the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God. In the name of Jesus, amen.